Dear friends in Christ, Christmas 2020, it is a Christmas unlike any other. And we, as Pastor Strand mentioned too, we pray that uh, it will not be a Christmas like this again next year or in the future. For a number of homes, there's going to be an empty seat or maybe more empty seats. It could be because of a, a loved one who has gone home to heaven. Uh, as my mother did back in April because of COVID. It might be that the family's not gathering together as much as we normally do because of the guidance of the restrictions. And it may be on a a computer, a tablet, a phone. Uh, It may be saying hi from uh, outside. We don't know what it's going to be like for so many, but we pray that things will definitely improve. What's your spirit of Christmas going to be like? Well, in one Peanuts cartoon, there was a place where Lucy's talking to Charlie Brown. And she says that Christmas, Charlie Brown, is a time for forgiveness, for kindness, to forgive one another. And Charlie Brown says... Why do that just at Christmas? Why don't we do that the rest of the year too? And Lucy looks at Charlie and she says, What are you? Some kind of religious fanatic? (laughs) Well, as we look at the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, we see that more than anyone else in the Christmas account, Mary demonstrates what that true spirit of Christmas really is. And we know that we can celebrate at Christmas time things like, well, the spirit of family bonding. It might be the spirit of giving or the spirit of even rejoicing. And all these things are well and good, but Mary teaches us that the true spirit of Christmas is the spirit of humility, of being a humble servant of the Lord. And Mary's account is told starting in verse 26, which we read earlier in our gospel reading here. She's a young teenager from a small town called Nazareth. She's pledged to be married to a a carpenter named Joseph. And that means more than engagements do today. It was a binding contract, and breach of that pledging was considered adultery. To get out of it, you had to go through divorce proceedings. And committed couples had many of the responsibilities of marriage, but without the privileges. We don't know what Mary was doing. Maybe she was perhaps doing her chores that day, or perhaps dreaming of her future with Joseph. But then the unthinkable happened. The angel Gabriel comes to her. And if that weren't strange enough, he makes an even stranger greeting. He says to her that she's highly favored and that the Lord is with you. She's stunned. And Gabriel, he senses her confusion and he explains even more to her that she was going to conceive and give birth to a child and that child was the long-awaited Messiah. Well, consider what Mary's thinking must have been like at that moment. He says she's greatly troubled and doesn't know know, what kind of greeting that is. Well, like every Jewish kid, she had grown up hearing about the coming son of David. And it might have even crossed her mind that Joseph, that he was from that line of David. 
But she's thinking, but me? The mother of the Messiah? And then it hit her. Wait a minute. That's not how my mother told me it would work. How can I have a child? I've not, not even been with a man. And it wasn't an expression of doubt, but it was one of confusion. And then comes the shocker. Who would he say the father would be? Something about the Holy Spirit making me pregnant? Well, imagine the emotions that are going through her mind. On one hand, she's honored, and, and she's actually stunned by that honor. On the other hand, she dreaded how this could play out because Jewish law said that a man or a woman who committed adultery would be stoned. And she was probably thinking, thank God for the Romans in the time we live right now because they don't allow that any longer. And how would Joseph react? Could he possibly believe Mary's words? You know, she probably thought, hey, Gabriel, could, could you speak to him too about this? Because otherwise, she was certain that she would lose him. And she knew that she would be disgraced. All her dreams were dying. A part of Mary wanted to fall down in grateful praise, but another part wanted to really protest this interruption in her life as she was playing it out. But somehow in the battlefield of her own heart, Mary chose to surrender. And she ends up saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In simple, humble faith, Mary said yes to God. You see that spirit of Christmas here? Of humility? Mary says yes to God's direction in her life because she saw herself as the servant of the Lord. Humility is one of those Christian buzzwords that you know, we love to talk about, right? But we know, too, that when it comes right down to it, everything within us protests against it. Humility really expresses itself in surrender. A servant is one who gives up their own rights and claims. They can't call the shots anymore. They realize that they don't own themselves. They're not autonomous. They belong to somebody else. Think of how different your life would be if you looked at it as being a servant of the Lord. What would you stop worrying about then? What would you stop wrestling with God over? What would you stop doing to secure your own place? Well, humility means surrendering those rights, those plans, those desires, and even questions to the Lord, and instead declaring, I am the Lord's servant. In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey says, Often a work of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain. And in that matter-of-fact response, Mary embraced both. She was the first person to accept Jesus on his own terms, regardless of the personal cost for her. In our life, we know that there's often a battle within us. Our natural self, it never really wants to give up easy, does it? And right when you think that you've got it where you want it, well, it ends up rising up somewhere else. Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily and follow him. We know that the hard part of it is that it's every day. It's the daily part. He wants us to make that choice. But as Mary did, 
you know, there's a blessing in that ability to surrender to him, to walk with him each day. The spirit of humility is expressed in the knowledge and also accepting your your place in God's plan. And that brings us to the second scene that occurs in the next verses in Luke. The angel said that she would be given a sign. Her cousin Elizabeth was going to also experience a miracle. She would be pregnant in her old age. And Mary must have thought, well, perhaps she'll understand. And so Mary packs up her bags and she travels south to where Zechariah and Elizabeth's house is. It's about a a four-day's journey down there. And Mary had a lot of time to think about how she's going to really present this to her older cousin. And she may have even had a little speech prepared, but you know what? Mary didn't need that speech. Look what happens when she arrives. It says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she, ent- where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth, when she heard that greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Mary, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I think it was one of those moments where you feel a massive load lifted off your back. No, Mary wasn't crazy. Yes, she did hear the angel right. God is in control. Mary didn't even have to say a word here. Before she could speak, Elizabeth broke out in the blessing of Mary and her child that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a blessing that we see, it's in that blessing that we see another example of the spirit of Christmas. Elizabeth's humility is in the fact that she recognizes Mary as the most blessed among women. She's humbled by the fact that Mary would come visit her. In fact, Elizabeth doesn't even feel she's deserving of this visit. Not only that, she recognizes that the child in Mary's womb is greater than the child that's in her own. And she calls Mary the mother of my Lord. And she admits that when she saw her, the not-yet-born child John, you know, he, he jumps. He does a somersault like that in her womb. And John is pointing to Jesus here even from the womb. We know that years later, at the time of Jesus' baptism, John would point to him and say, you know, here's the Lamb of God. He's the one who takes away the sin of the world. And then a couple chapters later in John, he says, he, Jesus, must become greater I must become less. You see, humility is expressed in knowing and also accepting your place in God's plan. You have a place. We all have a place. But your place is different from someone else's place. When we finally get that and we stop comparing ourselves with others, and when we start doing what we are called to do, Well, then the result here is what we see as being joy. You can't have joy if you're always irritated, thinking 
that God's plan for you doesn't seem to be as important as someone else's place. Think about the Bible account of David and Goliath. You know, David helped King Saul win a battle. But the king wasn't happy because Saul, he had killed you know, thousands of men, but David had killed tens of thousands. So King Saul couldn't enjoy the victory because he was thinking about David's getting more credit than he got himself. But Thomas Merton, a monk who had lived during the middle of the last century, he had said, Give me humility, in which alone is rest, and deliver me from pride, which is the heaviest of burdens. The spirit of humility is seen in grateful worship for God's salvation. Now, as you might imagine, this was all pretty overwhelming for Mary, so much that she breaks out in song, and I don't mean literally, but yet her words in the scriptures there have a very poetic style to them. And she says in verses 46 through 49, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Look at that. God had regarded her humble state. She was a nobody from a nowhere town. But now she says that in the future, generations are the ones who are going to call her blessed. She looks at not only herself, but she also sees the same principle at work in others. She goes on saying, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Once again, do you see the reversal? Now that work is in others. The proud are brought down, the hungry are filled, and the humble are exalted. That liberation that Mary's talking about is not political or economical, it's spiritual. Mary will be called blessed, not because she's going to get new things in her life now. What she will get is her son who will save her and others from sin. Liberation is for the poor who trust God, who fear God, the ones who look to God for salvation. But the reality is, it's easier for the poor and the oppressed than it is for the proud, the powerful, and rich. The rich and the powerful, you know, they lean toward pride and independence. They're more likely to say, ah, who needs God? And that's why they'll be brought down. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of humility. And like Mary, each of us is born into a humble state. We're all born into sin. We have our bent towards sin. We're separated from God. But God said he sent his son so that our fortune would be reversed. 
It's been said that the Son of God became a man in order that men might become sons of God. The Bible has a word for that. Three syllables, real simple. Salvation. That's the theme of these opening chapters of Luke. The angel told Mary that you're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. That name, Jesus, means salvation. Mary is the one who sings of God, my Savior. What was Mary being saved from? Well, her sin, of course. Later, Zechariah, he would praise God for raising up a horn of salvation for us, in his own words. And it says, we claim that salvation too, that joy and gratitude are really the, ones, the things that come into our lives. Salvation can only come to the poor in spirit. It only comes to the humble of heart. The spirit of Christmas is the spirit of humility. And that humility is expressed in us being willing to say, I am the Lord's servant. May your word, God, to me be fulfilled. It's a humility that's expressed also in being willing to accept your place in God's plan. It's a humility that's expressed in gratitude for a salvation that you and I did not earn for ourselves. In closing, Corey Ten Boom, who had survived the Holocaust, and she became a, a Christian writer and speaker, she was asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble. And she replied, When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you think for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? If I can be a donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I will give him all the praise and all the honor. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. That's the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of being a humble servant to the Lord. And know that the Lord who came among us will once again return in all of his glory. And that's the reason for our spirits to rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray, Lord, give us that spirit. May we know that as you have done all things for us, we can only give you thanks and to proclaim that great name to others. To follow you, Lord, each day as you walk with us and as you live among us and in us, may we have that joy and gratitude so that as we can rejoice, it will be for eternity as one day, too, we will live with you and all of the, the forgiven who believe in you. In your precious name we pray, amen.